athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. Undoubtedly, we're going to talk about the Brian Flores situation and him suing three teams and the National Football League as a whole. We're going to kick things off on a somber note today here on the program. Chesley Christ, former Miss USA, former Miss North Carolina. It was announced on Sunday evening that she passed away and committed suicide now just 30 years old and you need now, so when i first and let me let me just back up a little bit how i found out about this so my wife was saying to me she was reading something on facebook and she said something to the effect the miss former uh, a former miss usa had passed away uh via suicide so I looked at the phone and it, and and for whatever reason, like my vision was blurry. I could clearly see that it was Chesley, but my my whatever vision mind would whatever would not allow for me to believe that that was in fact the case. Chesley Christ appeared on this program back in 2019, shortly after her win as Miss USA. And further, so just in, in sort of following her career and, and really seeing more recently where she had done, she was doing a lot for extra. She had done a lot of red carpet interview uh, interviews. She had had a conversation more recently with Denzel Washington. Um, she, she had really done quite a bit more recently to the point that we reached out. I reached, we reached out to her like okay we want to try to do something maybe collaborative if possible have her come uh on our on, on our our new project radio boss and maybe you know every month or every couple of weeks and just talk entertainment news right and this was recently as a matter of fact i had conversations with reps from extra maybe two or three weeks ago and Good conversation. Looked like it may be something that would happen. Uh, hadn't heard anything. Ultimately followed up like last week. Followed up. The rep said, hey, yeah, it, it, we've been just really busy. It's on our radar. We'll get back to you. And then I heard this. And this is the thing. When I remember the conversation that we had with Chesley Christ back in May of 2019, to be exact, I can just remember her being very outgoing. Uh, she was a person that uh, really 
not only wanted to help people, but was helping people. She was a lawyer by trade, and uh, she was a lawyer when she was named Miss USA, um, as a matter of fact. And then ultimately thereafter, shortly thereafter, the extra opportunity came uh, about. And I'm going to tell you what, she hadn't even really reached, she hadn't even scratched the surface of where she was going in life. And it's always tragic when when anybody passes, right? But particularly when young people pass and in the manner in which she passed. I, I you know, I I when I first and I read a lot of the reports, especially that Sunday evening and you know, into Monday and just sort of really in disbelief. And I mean, I, I you know, my my one of my thoughts was was it really suicide? Like it had to be something else when you see her personality and in the conversation that we even had you you just wouldn't think that something like that could happen to this person but I'm going to tell you what that's why it is important to check on people to make sure they're good not just surface stuff hey how you doing what's happening no really holding a conversation with people really making sure that People you know, whether it's loved ones, whether it's someone really close, whether it's someone maybe you don't know that well, but you can sense that maybe there's something that's not 100% right or that's not right. Got to make sure you reach out to people and let them know that you care about them if, you know, if that situation applies that you love them and all of those things because you really don't know what people are going through and when I I read this I I just uh, I I, I couldn't believe it you you talk about a beautiful person inside and out again was a track star at the University of South Carolina made her home at one time in Charlotte North Carolina Uh, again Miss USA Miss North Carolina and also finished in the top 10 in terms of the Miss Universe pageant uh, that same year as well. And absolutely unbelievable. And at such a young age and hadn't even scratched the surface was a rising, a rising star for extra. So again, um, and as a matter of fact, we put together um, sort of a tribute, if you will, on on the Box to Row YouTube page and just sort of that conversation uh, that we had with her back in 2019. So you can check that out on our YouTube page uh, at Box to Row. Got a whole lot to get to on today's program. We know the big game matchup. It's going to be Cincinnati and the Los Angeles Rams. I ultimately picked the Chiefs and the Rams to win respective games. Now, I never slept on Cincinnati. I just found it hard to go against Joe Burrow. But, I mean, you you looked at what Kansas City was able to do last week against, or the previous week, I should say, against Buffalo, particularly scoring that field goal to tie the game with just 13, they moved down, moved three plays in 13 seconds, got into field goal range. And 
I'll tell you what, they could have used that same philosophy at the end of the first half. I think that's where Kansas City ultimately lost the game. Getting down, it was like it was like uh, on the goal line with like Kansas City had like I don't know five seconds left, and I, to me, after the play was over, I said that was either a play call where it was feast or famine. You were either playing for the touchdown or nothing. It was touchdown or nothing. But then when I thought about it a little more and saw the replays, I'm like, you know what? That was a bad decision by Patrick Mahomes to throw that ball to Tyreek Hill right at around like the two-yard line. It was like maybe around a three-yard line. You had a defensive lineman that, that came down, that crashed down for Kansas City, and then another defensive back. So as elusive as Tyreek Hill is, there was no way because he's elusive but it's not like he can bull you over to get into the end zone. So when that defensive lineman came crashing down and then the defensive back came into play, I'm like, no way in the world. That would have been three points that would have put the Chiefs up 14 at that time. And if the game played out the way it ultimately played out, then the the Bengals would have, I mean, the uh, Chiefs would have ultimately won that football game. Didn't go that way. We can look and say the Chiefs weren't very good in the in the second half, and you'd be right about that, but there's a reason that the Chiefs weren't very good in the second half, and I think part of that reason is because the Bengals' defense played well. Like, like I've been saying the last couple of weeks, the Bengals don't – it's not like the Bengals have superstar players or big names on defense. It's just a solid defense, and schematically, it's solid. Made adjustments, right? Got pulverized in the first half. Three touchdown passes by Patrick Mahomes. 21-3 to at one point in the football game. Made adjustments in the second half to hold Kansas City to just three points. And Joe Burrow and company, uh, Jamar Chase, all these guys, you know, and then you look at Joe Mixon wearing on Kansas City in the latter part of the fourth quarter. Big runs by him that just wore on Kansas City. That guy, I mean, Joe Mixon is one of the best running backs in the National Football League. He's got some good size. He's going to, I mean, he, he can do a, a number of different things. He's versatile, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can run past you a little bit. He's got a little bit of speed. He can run through you. Man, he just wore on the Kansas City Chiefs down the stretch ultimately. And listen, it's like I'm going to give you my thought. I'm not going to give you my thoughts this week on who I think ultimately wins the Super Bowl between Cincinnati and the Los Angeles Rams because I need some time to really dissect this thing. I mean, on the surface – you look at Cincinnati, you're like, okay, solid defense. Joe Burrow, playmakers all over the field. Joe Mixon, the offensive line is an issue. Now, could they do some things within the next couple of weeks to fix some of the issues schematically? I don't know. Aaron Donald's a low to block, right? So I don't know if they have that much time uh, to even w- with, a, with two, you know, two weeks 
to sort of fix the ills of the Bengals' offensive line. Still to come here on Box to Row, we're going to be joined by recording artist and the keyboardist for Maroon 5, P.J. Morton. He's a Morehouse grad doing some big things in music, going to talk with him. Plus, I've got some thoughts on the new name for the Washington football team. Up next, I'm talking about the Brian Flores suit of the National Football League and three of its teams. Find the Box to Roll YouTube page for conversations with stars like Omari Hardwick, Brandy, Michael Strahan, and with some of our favorite sports guests over the years. Box to Roll. Box to Roll. Box to Roll. My name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of four hundred of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Salt Box, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. What an absolute bombshell that was dropped on Tuesday when it was announced that former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores had sued three teams in the National Football League and the National Football League as a whole. Those teams included the Dolphins, the Giants, and the Broncos and sued the National Football League as a whole for racial discrimination. So let's talk about this because this is when this first came out, man, I was I was kind of floored and it, it it didn't really seem to take legs right away. And then that's all you heard that was talked about on Wednesday and Thursday. And listen, I give Brian Flores a lot of credit because he what he's doing in terms of suing the National Football League it's not, he's a hot coach right now he's a he's in essence a hot commodity but yes and no in other words yes i mean with the resume that he has two back-to-back winning seasons as a matter of fact he gets fired with a 9 and 8 record with the dolphins after last year the dolphins were what like 10 and 6 I mean, he had, a, he had a really good record. And even if you go back to the first season, which, I mean, that was, a, that was a setup for failure when you think about the Dolphins in that season. Still ultimately ended up winning like five or six games, including that big-time win against 
the Patriots. So this comes out, and, 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 and really, Flores found out, for those that don't know, so Flores found out, okay, let's, let's back up. So Flores was being interviewed, it had already been actually interviewed by the Giants, but he received a text from Bill Belichick that in essence said, congratulations, you in essence basically have the Giants and or the Bills job. It, it's up to you. And I've read the text messages. I've read, actually, I've read a lot of the actual complaint. It's 58 pages long. And Flores came back and said, well, and, and remember, when, and so you know that when Belichick sent this text, this was before Flores was supposed to have the interview for the head coaching position with the Giants. Well, long story short, come to find out when Belichick text Brian Flores, he thought he was texting Brian Dable, who ultimately was the one that got the job. Belichick realized the mistake that he ultimately made, okay? And he ultimately said, and in these text messages are in the complaint. Sorry, I effed this up. I double checked and misread the text. I think they are naming Brian Dable. I'm sorry about that. Ends it with BB. Okay. And I saw actually the text messages because, again, the text messages were in this complaint as well. So ultimately, Flores brings about a suit suing the Giants, because, saying that the Giants knowingly interviewed him for the position, knowing they had already were already going to give the position to Dable to satisfy the Rooney rule. He sued the Broncos because he said John Elway, who is like, I guess, I forget his exact title, but the president, general manager of the Broncos for an interview that he had with him. He was like an hour late for the interview, and it was one of those interviews where it was just, again, to satisfy the Rooney rule, and then ultimately, and then ultimately named the Dolphins in the suit, said a, a couple of things, most notably that owner Stephen Ross said to Flores that he would give him $100,000 for every loss. For every loss the Dolphins racked up, Brian Flores would get one hundred, an additional $100,000. The Dolphins, in essence, trying to tank. Ross, of course, has denied these allegations. Also, in the suit, Flores mentioned that, that uh, owner Steve Ross was trying to also get him to recruit a top-notch quarterback, which was a violation of the NFL rules. And so we got to keep focus on what's going on in this suit because what's now come about in the last couple of days, former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson has come out and said that he was actually paid some bonus money while he was the Browns head coach to lose football games as well. He didn't realize it at the time and then ultimately realized that that was the situation. And I think 
what has happened is that has now become the story. That has now become the narrative and a couple of different narratives that uh, in terms of Hugh Jackson and whether in clearly, you know, like you don't, you're not clearly, you don't, you know, players generally speaking are not going out to try to tank games and whether or not clubs are asking players to, to tank uh, so they can get better draft choices. You know, that's become one of the narratives that has ultimately come out of this story. We got to keep our eyes on the prize and the actual lawsuit. So, you know, there are just a couple of different things that ultimately come to my mind. Number one, uh, I believe Brian Flores fully. I, I don't, you know, I don't see where he would have because he's ultimately said and he's done a couple of interviews since then. And he says, hey, if I never, in essence, if I never get another shot or another job in the National Football League, that's OK as long as this helps Someone And it has been a lot of comparisons between this and ultimately Colin Kaepernick. I think, I mean, you could make the argument that this may be even bigger than that. I think ultimately, however, um, you look at Brian Flores, he's a he's a hot coach. There's no reason why Brian Flores, first of all, should have been fired from the Dolphins. And, and then, of course, that was that, that was part of the narrative that the Dolphins put out there because he wouldn't do what the owner wanted him to do that ultimately he was uh he was a bad person he, he was he was difficult to work with generally um you know what the stigma that comes against black men in hiring uh, specifically uh, and black folks in general in terms of hiring in the workplace that's something else that came out brian flores is a hot coach should have a job should have never been fired by the dolphins ultimately because they did fine and I think even I did. I think partly we accepted the fact that maybe it was something that was more internal, but we didn't know exactly uh, what it was. And by the way, there's a lot of different, a lot of different things here. I mean, if you know, ultimately Brian Flores has brought to light something that a lot of people a don't want to talk about, b continue to sweep under the rug, and he's brought these things uh, to light, which you know, in of itself can be viewed a certain way like oh he's a tattletale type of type of situation I don't look at it that way I think it was very courageous I think it was a great thing to do and it just opens up you know so many different conversations to the Rooney rule and you know how effective the Rooney rule is now you have one black head coach in the National Football League currently I mean in the way that this thing was trending because when I put this show together I start on Monday and say and say okay what are some of the topics that we're going to talk about this week? Generally speaking, and of course, it can evolve based upon what happens in sports throughout the course of the week, et cetera. Well, one of the, the topics of conversation I had already planned to have today is, listen, you look at all the hirings of these coaches and it doesn't look like, you know, a Jim Caldwell or a Leslie Frazier uh, or any of these other coaches that are uh, Todd Bowles, um, you know, that were up for jobs, um, Byron Leftwich, we're going to get hired. We've already had, what, like four coaches that have been hired. None are black. Uh, Brian Flores, of course. So that was going to be sort of my topic of conversation. And now we've come to this. The only black coach in the National Football League currently was basically a beneficiary, beneficiary of the Rooney Rule. And 
it is it, look what it's done. So I'm not, but that doesn't say that doesn't that's not to say that the Rooney rule is working. I mean, the Rooney rule serves some other purposes as well. You get to go through the interview process, uh, those type of things. And so do do coaches actually get hired? General managers, you know, for that fact. I mean, not not as much as you would like. I mean, I look at a guy like a Raheem Morris, probably one that did benefit from the Rooney Rule. Um, had one a good season in Tampa, and then it just didn't go well. And again, he's on a list of potential head coaches um, as well. But I look at a guy like a Josh McDaniels, for example, just got hired by the Raiders, had his shot with the Broncos. It didn't work out. Uh, took the job with the Colts only to ultimately say, nah, it was a mistake. I don't want the job. He gets another opportunity. But a guy like a Todd Bowles, who, I mean, yeah, may, may not have gone great, but it didn't go great for Josh McDaniels either. So it's like if you get the opportunity as a black head coach, you better be like a Mike Tomlin, and you better have success immediately and a lot of it, or you may not get another opportunity. That's part of the problem here with the National Football League as well. Not only are there not any black head coaches, or not more, just one, but if you don't do well, you're not going to get a second chance. Look at Art Shell, the first one in the modern era to be hired, had success with the Raiders, ultimately was fired, didn't get another opportunity until like, what, 10 years later. And then by that time, that was a disaster as he came on our program and ultimately said, you know, some time ago uh, when, when we talked with him about 10 years ago uh, or so. Looking part at the complaint right now, one head football coach compared to the number of black players in the National Football League, which is 70%. Got one head coach. You've got four um, that have black offensive coordinators. 11 have black defensive coordinators. Eight have a black special teams coordinator. Uh, three have black quarterback coaches and six have black general managers. There's definitely a problem. By the way, it's across the board. Look at, let's look at the broadcast industry. Every play-by-play person for a National Football League team is a white male. It's got to be different, and I think Brian Flores' suit could make it different. Up next here on the program, we're going to switch gears. Going to be joined by recording artist P.J. Morton. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. And that's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I would say representation is it's not a request. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for Black women. 
And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the granite stage them all and, and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years you get to it. <laughs> Man, you know what it's good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in FAM just because I wanted to major in business. And FAM, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to Winston-Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. With the film stage, I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. All, all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So... I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Still View Football League has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown in Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a... You know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was playing for Coach K. He gave me the keys to, to the car, and I was driving it in first eight games. And you know, being a part of something special like that, and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one, is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box 
From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the Press Box to Press Row, real, relevant, radio. P.J. Morton's one of the most talented musicians around. He's a three-time Grammy Award winner. And as a matter of fact, his album, Gospel According to P.J. won the Grammy Award for Best Gospel Albums. Got a new single out, Please Don't Walk Away. It is available now. He's also the keyboardist for Maroon 5. P.J. Morton joins us here on Box to Row. PJ, it's a pleasure. Welcome to the program. Oh, it's all my pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. Good to be with you. Absolutely. HBCU's in the building, and we'll talk more um, about that. I want to start here. I mean, I just look at look at what you've done throughout the course of your career and all the genres of music that you're involved in. Maroon 5 is like, you're, you're really big. Maroon 5 is like really, really big. What is it like working with Maroon 5? Um, man, it's been a pleasure. I mean, it's going on uh, 12, 12 years in, in the band in July. And, uh, you know, so I've been there a while. And it, is, it has been a ride, man. It's been a journey. Um, you know, honestly, Maroon has allowed, to, allowed me to see a lot of my bucket list, you know, that maybe I thought I'd never get to. But it opened me up to a, to a world uh, that, that I wasn't privy to, man. And it's been amazing. Those are my brothers. And uh, and they have also supported me so much, you know. Uh, I've opened <laughs> as PJ Morton and closed as Maroon Five. You know, I've done that all over the world with the band as well. Uh, so it's been nothing but love and support, man. There's no question about. It. I mean, you know, you you talk about Maroon Five and sort of that genre of music, you know, R and B, you know, gospel for you. We'll talk more. By the way, I, I think one of my, mo- my one of my favorite songs is "Let It Rain" by Bishop Morton. We we could talk a little bit more um, about that as well. Yeah, you know, just 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 across the board um, for you. So, can you speak to? And I know you work in all con- genres of music because what I think is interesting also is that you were first signed to Young Money, which is more of a you know more of a hip hop label at least, but they have. You know, a lot of different genres of music going on there. But the similarities musically between R&B and gospel, and, and it's always and it's always sort of been that way. It has, yeah. I think they, they've always borrowed from each other, actually. Um, and, and, you know, what I think I do even more than R&B is soul music, which I think is that, is that mesh, that mixture of, of gospel and those, those gospel roots and, and R&B. You know, for me... It, it all comes from the same place. You know, one is talking about the love of God, you know, one is talking about the love of a person, usually, you know, um, and then sometimes you have songs that, that could work in, in either space. Um, and that's what I've experienced. Uh, and, um, you know, growing up in church, we always borrow from R&B. <laughs> and, uh, and I've always heard R&B borrow from gospel when I think of Jodeci, you know, listening to commission you know uh and and and, all, and and with commission and the whining 
how they set forth the, the, the guy groups that came after when you talk to boys to men, when you talk to Beyonce and she talks about Kim Burrell, it's like we're all intersected uh, because it comes from that same heart that ain't that same soul. No, it's interesting because one of the uh, one of the reverends, the preachers at my church did a sermon one time and I forgot what I, I don't even remember what it was all about, but I'll never forget the I'll never forget uh, the fact that she spoke about all of the gospel, the R&B people, soul people that came out of the church, Aretha Franklin, so on and so forth. So you're you're right. It's it's definitely a dynamic uh, between the two. We're joined by three time Grammy Award winner P.J. Morton here on Box to Road. The new single, Please Don't Walk Away, is available now. What did it mean to you for Gospel According to P.J. to win the Grammy Award for Best Gospel Album? Yeah, it, it was really a full circle moment for me. I mean, it was really special because um, I had stayed away, <laughs> at least as an artist, I had stayed away from gospel for so long, um, you know, because of my background. My, the shadow of my father was so huge, and I knew that I had another mission. I wanted to bring love back to R&B music and, and, and focus on pure music. And, uh, and you know, once I started to do that, we started to, you know, we made history being nominated for Best R&B Album three years in a row consecutively. Uh, it's the first time in history that that was done. So I think I felt that at least I had, um, you know, proven what I needed to prove to myself um, in, in music and that it wasn't just about the shadow, but, but, but to be honest, that gospel was my roots and I, and I knew how to do that well because it was so close to my heart. Um, so during the pandemic, um, I really felt a strong pull to bring some inspiration to a dark time, you know, where many people, this was 2020 when many people didn't know what the future held, you know? Um, so just to get the gospel album accomplished with Kirk Franklin and commission and the, and, 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 the, and the Clark sisters and Jay Moss and all of these people on the album, um, that was just an accomplishment in itself. So then for my peers and gospel music, knowing that I've done all these R&B albums and everything, for them to nominate it and then for it to win was really just like, it blew my mind, man. It's so special. And I know for you, you you currently have your own label. But, I, you know, again, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I mean, I just find it interesting that you initially uh, signed with Young Money, which, you know, you're talking about Lil Wayne and Nicki Minaj and it's more hip hop. But to me, it just shows the the breadth of the talent that you have musically. And they saw that talent to, in you know, to ultimately sign you to Young Money initially. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I had done uh, uh, plenty independent albums before I signed with Young Money. Uh, but many people didn't know the backstory of Young Money. The president of the Young Money, Mac Main, uh, we went to high school together, uh, so we had history. We 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 were friends already, and uh, and he has al always been a fan of of R and B music, actually. You know, and um, you're right. At that time, Nicki, Wayne, Drake, Tiger, they were they were. I mean, they were on fire when I signed. Um, and I think the label was looking to expand and do something different. And um, and they they already loved the talent, and so they let me do my thing. It, it was a it was a learning experience for sure. Um, and uh, you know I'm happy that that I went through that, <laughs> but then 
then I went right back to, to Independence after I uh, released the album on, on Young Money. Three-time Grammy Award winner P.J. Morton joins us here on the program. Again, the single Please Don't Walk Away is available now. I look at, you know, I look at Morehouse and I think about Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. I think about uh, Spike Lee. I think about uh, Sam, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And ultimately, you're a graduate uh, of Morehouse. You know, I'm, I'm a graduate of, of, of Morgan State, so we got the M.O.R., at least in common right there. And, of course, we're HBCU guys. You, you, you know what I mean? So what, you know, talk about what ultimately led you to go to Morehouse College. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I, um, well, first of all, I only applied to Morehouse. I didn't apply to any other college. <laughs> so I would have been messed up if I didn't, if I didn't get accepted. Uh, but I was very clear. Um, two things really put me over the edge. My my mother is, I, I call her a great storyteller. Um, but she would tell me stories about my uncle, her brother, going to Morehouse, um, the first male in their family to go to college. And she talked about how Morehouse really developed him, you know, grew him up in a way, made him a man made him understand values, everything. So I already had like a fond uh, vision of Morehouse before I'd ever, this is when I was a kid. And then my sister uh, went to, my older sister went to Spelman and I got to go on campus, uh, the AUC campus and see her in college and see all the beautiful black people and see all the cool, you know, smart intelligent people it was just like amazing and and and, and um and i was sold so um once once i saw my sister at Spelman and had the background of my uncle and knew the history of morehouse i'm like this is where i'm going i don't want to go anywhere else plus it was atlanta and um you know at that time the faith outcast uh you had so so death with jermaine dupree you had uh all these labels going and like being a new hub of music. And um, I was like, that's where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's very interesting. Did, were you in school at least partially? He, he was younger than you, but John David Washington. John came. Yeah. John came while I was still there. Yeah. He came while I was still there. Uh, my last year, actually, he was playing football. Um, so yeah, we we had all the hype with with Denzel coming on campus and stuff, coming to some of the games. Uh, so yeah, we we were there at the same time. Yeah, because I know when we talked with him, he mentioned, you know, the one of the the his most fondest memories of Morehouse, and it's probably at all HBCUs is the the, the calf and the fried chicken, whatever day the fried chicken came through, you know. <laughs> for sure, for sure, <laughs> yes, sir. No question about it. So, and, and also speaking of HBCUs, so you're the first ever um, artist in residence right now at Dillard in New Orleans. That's right. That's right. I wanted to keep that keep that HBCU energy going. And since I moved home, uh, I've always tried to find ways um, to 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 elevate, man. And um, and Dillard uh, and I formed a partnership where uh, I can, you know, get some interns from Dillard, teach them the actual business, you know, like real time. Uh, we also do a talent show, or we did our first talent show. 
and um, in the winter gets to record with me and and release a uh, release a song through through Martin Records, and um, yeah, and and we're supposed to do a master class. COVID hasn't been kind to us, <laughs> but we we're uh, we're we're preparing a master class uh, where I'm gonna uh, have seminars on songwriting, on production, on publishing, um, and all the above. I just want to me growing up in New Orleans, I had music all over the place. I mean playing you can learn how to play any instrument and, and be in that world but there was not a bunch of music education uh, for me I had to leave for that part to learn the business and I just don't want New Orleans to be all music I want us to understand all sides so anyway I can push that uh, I, I try to do that no question about it a couple of more thoughts with PJ Morton three-time Grammy Award winner who joins us here on the program so you're also restoring the home of jazz pioneer buddy bolden how is that coming along it is coming it is coming we're excited about it i just brought on a new team member um that's been a new space for me you know to be totally honest i haven't really done a bunch of nonprofit work but this fell in my lap and i, I just could not pass it up uh, buddy bolden uh, i always explain who he is because i'm from new orleans and a musician and i didn't really know who he was it wasn't really taught to me but he's the guy who played the horn um, who really planted the seed for jazz music. You know, um, when Louis Armstrong or King Oliver, those guys talk about the first time they heard jazz, many of those times Buddy Bolden's name is the one they say. Um, and his childhood home uh, just happened to fall in our, in our laps. And I said, I want to restore this uh, to show people what he stood for, which was, you know, what I think New Orleans stands for. And that's innovation you know it's like okay i know y'all playing dixie or you playing this with your trumpet i'm about to play mine louder and it's gonna feel like this and and it, it later on be called jazz music which our jazz music turned into r&b music with with fat domino and fat turned into rock and roll you know elvis was chasing fat domino so what i think um started american music as we know it and uh so i'm really excited about it it's taking a little longer than i would like um, but we're pushing, and, and, and I, I'm just still so excited about it. We're talking with national recording artist P.J. Morton. We'll have more with P.J. Morton on the other side. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsborough. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beach Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's 
the others pretend. You're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal. Up close and personal. With the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Here's the man to bring it to you, Donald Ware. We're talking with national recording artist, musician, and the keyboardist for Maroon 5, PJ Morton here on the program and PJ, you know, Let It Rain is one of the songs we often play to sort of close the show by the Bishop Morton. You know, what What was it? You talked about, you know, sort of, um, you know, growing, obviously he's your father, but growing up in, in him musically from a gospel perspective and you kind of kind of doing your own thing. But what, what was that sort of like, you know, as his son? What is that like or what was that like kind of growing up? Yeah, well, from the music side, it was it was just amazing. I mean, there was so much music, and my my father was such an amazing artist himself that the music at our church was always top notch. I mean, we always had the best musicians from around the world uh, in our band. We always had you know the the best songs, and eventually the church started recording. That was one of my first uh, placements as a songwriter. Um, you know, as a as as a pastor and a, as a figure. That part was 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 a lot, you know, because I was his only son, uh, and his namesake, you know, like uh, it was like it was the, the lane was like set out for me, and, and I saw a different way. So that, you know, that was a little tough at times, but but uh, but my my pops was my training ground for this music thing. I mean, it's the first time I got to watch somebody connect uh, with the congregation, which you know translates into an audience. Um, it's the first time, you know, I just saw somebody capture uh, a, a group of people uh, with music and with their words. And I think that that's forever had an impact on me and, and my career and my music. Guess going back a couple of years ago, you were on um, TNT's Inside the NBA, right? Are you are you a big sports fan? I am. Yeah, I love sports, uh, specifically football and basketball. Okay, uh, so being right there in New Orleans, are you a Pelicans guy? I am. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Pelicans fan, man. We, you know, we're new fans. We, we, I wasn't a uh, when when they brought the Hornets to New Orleans. I wasn't on. I, I was still living in California, and I didn't like that uh, with the Charlotte Hornets. So I'm like, I don't want somebody else's team. <laughs> so when we turn into the Pelicans, I, I, I I'm fully behind the Pelicans. We're building, and uh, we're gonna figure it out over here. <laughs> But yes, I'm a, I'm a Pelicans fan. Yeah, and then man, what, what's up, Sean Payton retiring? Man, what, what are your thoughts? Oh my God! Oh my God! We're 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 in mourning. We're in mourning here. Uh, we were already in mourning because because the 49ers won and we 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 didn't make it into the playoffs. Uh, but we're fully <laughs> in mourning for Sean Payton. Sean Payton has set you know he set the culture for, for a winning football team. I mean, we lost my whole life basically. <laughs> And uh, Tom Payton really changed the game, and uh, and so we're in. He's a, a great coach. We got nothing but love and respect for him. He really uh, inserted himself into the community too. So it's a lot of love. It's deeper than I mean that's New Orleans, New Orleans sports. So it's much deeper than sports. You know, we we want to we want to be with you. We want you to be with us. So yeah, we'll miss Sean Payton for sure. He's got his own record label, Morton Records which is blowing up. He's three-time Grammy Award winner P.J. Morton. The new project or the new single, Please Don't Walk Away, is available now. Check him out 
on social media. P.J. Morton joins us here on Box to Row. P.J., great to catch up with you, man. Continued success in all you do. Same here, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's good talking to you. P.J. Morton joining us here on the program. If you want to react to anything in that conversation that P.J. had to say, hit us up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. A couple of other things I want to get to and. Before we actually talk with PJ, was talking about the Brian Flores situation. And, you know, I mentioned other positions. I mentioned the positions or the number of general managers, uh, black general managers in the National Football League. There are six. One head football coach. We mentioned the offense, the number of offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, et cetera, right? And even if you look across the board, even if you go to more of the support staff, In public relations, for example, there are some uh, black PR professionals um, that are at the highest level. And some of them uh, specifically are HBCU grads. Comparatively speaking, not good. But probably when you look at that realm in terms of the PR world, that's probably the best in terms of the numbers of of blacks that are in that profession and uh you know that needs to be better uh, as well but again as i mentioned before in the first segment you look at the broadcast industry and that's the industry that i'm in it's the industry that i love i love doing radio uh you know television when it's appropriate and when i have the opportunities to do so etc again i look at that and i look at the number of play-by-play voices for National Football League teams that are black, zero. There are zero. Now, what people will point to is they'll say, okay, but there are black folks in the industry on radio because a lot of times, not all the time, but there are quite a few analysts or color commentators who are black, right? In the, and I'm talking about specifically in the National Football League. I mean, let, let's not even talk about the other sports, few and far between. I mean, the one that comes to mind is Gus Johnson, who at one time was the play-by-play voice for the uh, New York Knicks. And then I can't think of the gentleman's name, but at one time the Seattle uh, Mariners um, uh, play-by-play man was uh, a brother as well. But when you're talking about the National Football League, Dave Sims, Dave Sims, Dave Sims. When you're talking about the National Football League, zero. That's a problem. That is an issue as well. So you, it's across the board. It's not just coaches. It's not just general managers. There needs to be more when you look at the PR offices, the marketing offices, et cetera, in the broadcast industry in terms of play-by-play people, there are zero. That also is an issue. The National Football League has just got, an, has got issue after issue as it relates to the hiring of blacks and minorities across the board. It has always been that way. Um, you know, I, I not to not to bring this and make this about box to row or anything like that. But I mean, I've shared this story now that the Super Bowl, we're going to there's another Super Bowl 
uh, that is coming forth. And this will be another Super Bowl that Box to Row will not be invited to, despite the fact that this program, not only does it air on Sirius XM, but it airs on six or seven markets where there are National Football League teams, okay? And you can you can say what you want. I mean, you you know, if you listen to, you know, ESPN or Fox Radio or CBS or whatever the case may be, I mean, you know, those hosts are talking about they'll be at the Super Bowl all week. We at one time uh, were 07, 08, 09, and for whatever reason, we're not now, right? So, you know, it, it, it is – it's very, very – uh, disappointing, but again, that's just another situation, right? Uh, where there are there's a lack of diversity with respect to the National Football League. It is uh, it is it is inexcusable. Uh, it is a shame, and you know, I mean, the the opportunities, uh, you know, for us seem to be very. Uh, very few and far between and very limited, which is really a crying shame. So speaking of, and I mean, I got to mention this before we get out of here, uh, the Washington football team has changed its name to the Commanders. Now, I'll say this. I understand why the Redskins, as the team was called, had to change the name. I get it. Like, I'm I'm totally – I, I, I get it, right? Um, Washington, I was cool with Washington football team. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I was getting used to it, cool with that. I don't know if there's some kind of mandate where you got to have, you know, a, 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 a team name, a real name. So the franchise comes up with the commanders. Now, I, I get it. They've tried to explain it. You know, the military – part of this you're in the Washington area the capital of the world all of those kind of things nah I think I'm just going to call I just I'm just going to call him Washington I'm just, <laughs> you, know, I, you know maybe I'll get used to commanders I'm I'm not that old but I'm old enough to to know that I probably <laughs> probably will not call them the commanders uniforms and that W though Oh, hot, right? Like they had the black uniforms. They showed the uniforms. Dope. That W, dope. I'm with that. Commanders, ah, not so much. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to PJ Morton for joining us today on the program. We got a lot of work to do in this country. No question about it as it relates to race. Got a lot. The National Football League has got a lot of work to do. The Rooney Rule, it, 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 what in terms of the hiring of coaches, et cetera, it is not working. Something has to be different. At the beginning of the program, we talked about Chesley Christ. We're remembering Chesley Christ. You can go to our YouTube page, YouTube at Box to Row, and check out the conversation we had with Chesley Christ. Uh, about two and a half years ago or so. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to P.J. Morton for joining us today here on Box to Row. For more information on the program, box2row.com.
And always remember to support those that support you. Box Toro is produced by DW Communications. It's never gone this far It's never been this bad